We all wish we could talk to animals. As it turns out, we can. Animal Connections with Laura Rowley explores the nature of interspecies communication. What are our animals trying to tell us? Animals commune through love, a force that opens all doors. Listening to them teaches us how to be better humans. Why? We can trust them to tell us the deepest truth about who we are and how one can grow into a more powerful version of self. Laura shares over 20 years of stories and wisdom learned from her work as an animal communicator in this hard and thought-provoking show. Welcome. This is Animal Connections with Laura Rowley. I'm your host, Laura, and you can join Animal Connections with Laura Rowley on Syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. I'm on every Friday at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern Time. You can listen online or on your mobile devices. If you would like to have a reading with me, uh, have me work with you and your animal, uh, it's a pretty simple thing to do. You would contact uh, my office. Um, My secretary's name is Karen Klein, and she will book you into an appointment. The easiest way is really to connect with her through her email account. Um, You could state your preferences. You want a half an hour. You have two horses. You have three dogs. I have just one thing I want to do, and she'll get in touch with you and get you on the calendar. And the best way to reach her is through K-K-L-E-I-N-2011 at gmail.com. Dot com. So that's kcline2011 at gmail.com. Um, that's usually the best way to get a hold of me. Um, and anything you want to work through with me is fair game. You know, when I, when I get on these phone calls as an animal uh, communicator and a life coach and a healer, I, I see the energy of the situation. I feel your energy. I feel the animal's energy. And each is contributing to the story. So I really never know how any of the appointments are going to go or what they're even going to be about. And so often uh, people are surprised by their appointments because they don't know what they're about. So just enter into the mystery and the fun of learning more about what our animals can teach us and how we can get along with them better and maybe solve some problems that you may be having with communicating with your animal or fully understanding their behaviors. So that's what I do for a living. And this show is a conglomeration, if you will, a collage with some themes about what I learn by participating on this level with people's lives and with their animals' lives. I sit in a very, I think, privileged space because people are trusting me to help them and animals are trusting me. So whenever trust is um, granted to anyone, like me in this case, it's a pretty special thing to to be in. And so um, we treat this sessions with sacredness that they deserve because uh, your trust will always be rewarded. You'll get some information back that will help you grow and to change and to live your life uh, differently and hopefully change some patterns that aren't very successful um, or things that are rearing their ugly heads and you're wondering why is this happening. And that's really the big theme today about uh, my topic for the day Um, because this is such a common thing, this idea that we have these patterns that keep showing themselves up in, an, in a unique relationship, maybe with just one given animal, or maybe it's a pattern that you notice with all of your animals, humans, in other words, with your relationships. So animals are 
something that we're in relationship with, right? And so they tell a story about that relationship. And lots of times they have a role in the story about the relationship that if you listen to it with a keen ear, you can learn a lot about how you are showing up in the relationship. So the idea here is, you know, knowledge is power. The more we know about ourselves, the more we can spy our own roles in a relationship, the more we can cleverly, happily move them into happier places, better places, places that are more satisfying for everyone, the animal, ourselves, and then we all grow. I titled this particular uh, podcast, Groundhog Day, um, Groundhog Day in the United States was about a week ago. It's traditionally on February 2nd of every year. And uh, on that day, a uh, groundhog whose name is Toxitani Phil comes out of his hole. And in that moment when he emerges from his burrow where he's been resting for the winter, if he sees his shadow, He'll dash back into his hole, allegedly, and that means that there's going to be six more long months, six more long weeks, excuse me, <laughs> of winter. If he doesn't see his shadow, then hmm, spring might be right around the corner. So that's the idea there. So there's a famous movie that maybe a lot of you have witnessed. It's been around for a long time. That starred Bill Bill Murray, and it was called Groundhog Day, and it alludes to the exact nature of what we're talking about here, repeating patterns. In the movie, without making this be a movie review, but in the movie, if you'll recall, Bill Murray, the main character, is a newscaster that is a weatherman, I believe, and he is kind of cynical. He thinks he's pretty cool. He has to go to this podunky little town in Philadelphia, in, um, in Pennsylvania, and cover the groundhog event, and he thinks it's stupid, and He's stuck in a snowstorm repeating his day, um, and then it turns out he keeps repeating his day repeatedly till he learns that whatever he's putting into his day is giving him a repetitive pattern, and it's making him unhappy. It's making him feel as if he is selfish, because he is. Um, it's making him um, sort of defeated and cynical about people. Instead of feeling mindful, he's being mindless in a way, in the same way that the movie evolves. He grows into an awareness of himself, and he grows out of selfishness and in, out of selfishness and into selflessness. Um, and then he gets happier. He gets sillier, and it's a happier movie. It's a pretty cool movie about this evolution of noticing repetitive patterns in yourself. Um, can teach us, really, personal redemption. We're the key to our own personal redemption. And sometimes we, don't, we get caught in our own endless loops of behaviors. And a lot of these are based on how we grew up, what our parents told us, what our teachers told us. And we forget to see, though, that there's this other aspect of it. And in some cultures, it's called karma where um, our, the consequences that we experience are actually a result of the decisions and actions that we make. So if we continue to notice, wow, I keep getting the same result, this karmic result, we're not doomed to the pattern. Karma is not a curse, you know. 
Karma is actually meant to have the idea that if you are mindful about what you're putting into something, then you can be assured that you can get something better out of it. So the Christian idea is, you know, we reap what we sow. So it helps to notice, like if you want to, let's take this to a simple example, we want to go make corn muffins. And if we put in moldy corn and old butter, then we're going to get probably not really good corn muffins. If, however, we go out, we find organic corn flour and really beautiful fresh ingredients, we can expect that we're going to have a better result. Similar idea with karma. If we put in good ideas into our love relationships and to our relationships with ourselves and our animals, then we can expect good stuff to come out on the other end versus repeating the pattern that maybe was the stuff we learned as, as kids, as children. So this is an idea that um, many call reparenting yourself. It's an opportunity to say, well, maybe things didn't go so great in my life as a kid. Maybe things weren't really how I would have liked it. They weren't the ingredients I would have chosen for, to make myself have a happy life, but they were what they were. So what can I do to change them? And, um, you know, in the silly movie, Bill Murray, um, in his comedic, funny way, he kind of learns to put different things into each of the scenarios that make for better results. And so he loops himself out of this repetitive pattern that he's gotten into of cynicism and selfishness by embracing relationships and happiness. So I see this a lot, you know, um, different people have to find different ways out of their own dilemma. Everybody comes up with their own solutions. But the trick is to first notice that you're in a pattern. You know, we think sometimes if our life is just being, you know, what we do every day, it's the day-to-day, and um, we don't really actually notice how much a pattern is dominating us because it's so thoroughly in our lives that on every level, it just seems like our daily life. You know, for instance, um, I was raised in a family that said things like, hard work always pays off. Um, Money doesn't grow on trees. So I grew up with the idea, seems pretty rational, of course money doesn't grow on trees. If hard work pays off, I have to go find the money, earn the money, make the money, and, you know, make what I need to survive as a, as a human. Um, but I, it seems in my life like I took that a little too far, you know. I always had two, three jobs. I always didn't allow myself the extra pleasures that I maybe sought after, instead I sort of felt like, oh, poor me, I have to work. I'm the one that has to work at this. I've got to struggle. I bet this sounds familiar to a lot of people, which is why I'm bringing it up right now. Um, Your first response is to think, well, I haven't done enough if things aren't going well when I get a bad outcome. It's because I didn't do enough. So you're always in a position of feeling like, well, if I'd only done more, which really isn't that much fun to live your life feeling like you always should have done more. But I have to say, it may be one of the more common things I hear from people. Uh, I worked with a woman for a number of years uh, on multiple horses with this woman. Her name is Diana. And uh, she imported a horse from Europe in 22. And so I talked to her 
at the end of 22 and all through 23 a number of times. Um, the horse, whose name was Melody, um, was very promising, was imported for a lot of money, and a consortium of people had bought the horse so Diana could compete the horse, and they wanted to enjoy owning a nice horse, but a couple of them were hoping that if Diana and Melody were successful, that they could go on later on to sell Melody as a very fine-tuned, expensive horse. They were all going to make some money, in other words. Nothing wrong with that. They didn't have any ill will against Melody. They figured they'd rehome her to a wealthy person that was going to treat her like her own. But what kept happening throughout the course of that year and a half is Melody kept getting injuries that were sort of self-induced. Uh, she would kick the stall repeatedly and um, injure her foot, and then it would require a special shoes, time off. Uh, then they'd start to get her back to normal. They'd start to let her outside with their in a paddock, she'd run into the corner of the paddock and got impaled herself and got a big gash in her chest and then more time off needed. So you get the idea. This was going on. It seemed like every time they got better, started retraining her, promising events started to happen, ready for our first show, the horse would go get injured somewhere, I mean bizarrely, because this horse was very well taken care of and kept in a beautiful facility. So Diana was beside herself pulling out her hair. You know, like, Laura, what is the pattern? She was a wise person. She knew to look for patterns. She understood the idea that, you know, this horse, she said, is cursed. So that idea that karma is like a curse, right? So I said, well, she's certainly teaching you something, but what is it you're putting into this? In other words, could you be co-creating part of this problem? So Diana ticked off the 55 things she does every day to keep the horse safe, loved, warmed, protected, well-nourished, you know, well-exercised. She's flawless, seriously, Diana is, knows what she's doing. So I said, well, this is like the, the facts here. What is it you're energetically putting into this partnership? Because I could see that Diana was holding herself accountable for the hopes and dreams of all of her investors, which is putting yourself kind of in a bad spot because you can't always know if any given prospect or any business of any sort, whether it's a horse or a business selling nuts and bolts, is really going to take off. So I said, it seems to me that you are internally very stressed about good outcomes all the time because you want your investors and you want Melody to be happy. Um, I said, I think you're putting some kind of weird tension into this so that you are getting an outcome that is always a little twisted instead of straightforward. So she was honest with herself and got thinking about that. And she said, you know, and then she started to cry. Um, she said, if I'm successful, I'll lose Melody and we'll, I'll have to, I love, I've come to love her in the year and a half and I owe it to my people and I owe it to this horse to sell this horse um, because that's what she was purchased for. And I'm being dishonest with my, uh, you know, my investors if I, you know, if I don't make that happen. So she was putting all this blame and shame and guilt on herself. So, so we talked about that over a number of weeks. Meanwhile, she kept riding Melody. They kept doing their thing. Melody would get, I don't know, beautiful stars, be fabulous, get all kinds of acclaims with a show. And then the next show she couldn't go to because she'd get hurt. But... Diana was really starting to work with the investors and saying, you know, um, I think 
there's a different change we should do here with Melody. And she started to factor in her own need to keep Melody and asked the investors, given that the horse was kind of a disaster, how would they feel about um, selling their portion back to her so that she got control of the horse's destiny? She made up fair agreements with everyone. Everyone, I think, probably wanted out because the horse has spent, spent thousands of dollars a month to own a horse, let alone one that's injured. And it wasn't much fun because she just was always never present. She you know, couldn't do anything. Everybody ended up being happy to sell out. She kept the horse. She was honest with herself. I deserve a nice horse, not just one that's always for sale, <laughs> right? Which is a problem sometimes for people that train animals. They fall in love with them and they hate to lose them. So she came clean, told everybody that. A couple of the people really weren't that worried about the money. They just wanted to have more fun. They let her off the hook really easily, and Melody became hers. And, of course, you know the rest of the story, right? Because it really was a happy ending. Um, the horse stopped getting hurt, and they did, I don't know, they've done a couple months now of repetitive showing um, down in Florida, and they're having a ball. And I think probably the horse isn't going to get hurt anymore. I think the whole thing is healing. That's because Diana was brave enough to look at her own dark stuff and what she was adding to the pattern. The horse was just sort of a mirror, right? It takes bravery. It takes courage. But she did it. Um, I'm often really amazed by the bravery and courage, actually, that I see on a daily basis in the work that I do. Um, people will really go to bat for their animals, but they don't always go to bat for themselves. And I'm always trying to really encourage that because I have to say most of the people that call me are great at being animal people. You know, they take wonderful care, but something's eluding them in this particular relationship. So it's a blind spot that has to be looked at, is how I see it, so that the blind spot doesn't have to keep coming back in a repetitive pattern. And so that the blind spot doesn't become your blindness. So that's kind of the idea there of the groundhog going into the shadow side where it's dark and cloudy and you go back into the wintry gloom again versus coming into the light of spring, the dawn, and you're in springtime. New life, new way of changing your patterns. Uh, <laughs> I work with uh, another person, uh, Annette, and she has oh, multiple animals, and I don't know, for years I've been talking to her on and off whenever she has a new animal or an animal that's giving her some stresses, and she has this uh, newish rescue named Peanut, and Peanut loves to go for walks but won't let her put the leash or the harness on before the walk, you know, gets under the car, won't come near her, like stays three feet from her because she's got the leash in her hand, but then runs to the door like, we've got to go for a walk, but I don't want to wear the harness. So she can't take her in her neighborhood without the harness. So she wanted me to explain to Peanut, like, look, we've got to wear the harness. We're so sorry about that. So uh, I did that. And it was better for, she said, for a couple of weeks, Peanut came to her and was better. But after a little time, the pattern reemerged. Peanut started to become unharnessable. So therefore, unwalkable and really frustrating because um, Annette had a job. She had to be in the car by like, you know, 7.30 in the morning, needed to have walked the dog already and didn't have time to piddle around with the dog, not getting on the harness. She said, I have to get to work. Nobody helps me get to work. Um, she's got to just show up for me here. 
True enough, I explained that to Peanut. Um, but I also encouraged Annette to look at the pattern underneath that, which whenever we start to think nobody helps me or woe is me, <laughs> Right? Like, oh, this is so hard. I have to struggle. Whenever we notice that, that should come with like a ding, ding, ding. We're feeling sorry for ourselves because we're letting ourselves down with that attitude. Right? We all need help. We all want a buddy to assist us to make things easier. We all need compromise. Sometimes we maybe have to ask for help. So we rephrased it to Peanut. I said, if she sat down and said, would you please come over here because I need your help and we have to go for a walk in the next 20 minutes so I can get in the car in 25 minutes. I just let yourself be vulnerable and ask Peanut for help. So she rephrased it with Peanut and it worked. It went away. Peanut started to come up and go, oh, you needed help? Okay, that's different than telling me I have to do it a certain way. <laughs> and... Annette then changed the recipe of what she was adding to their relationship. She admitted, all right, it's not really that poor me. I enjoy the walks. I love this dog. I'm so grateful to have her in my life. So why am I making it be like a task I have to tick off every day or something that has to be taken care of and poor me? Why don't I realize this is wonderful? I have a fun friend to go for a walk with every morning before I, I go. Now, she knew that on some level. But the poor me pattern of not ever getting help and always feeling like she was the only person that really showed up for herself in the world was the pattern that needed to be addressed. And she worked on that. And so Peanut kind of volunteered, I think, in my world. I think animals are very angelic. I think they show up and sort of volunteer to take a role so that we get to practice a different role. We get to be ourselves in a reparented way so that we kind of grow into a better adulthood ourselves. It's never too late to grow into a better adulthood, I always say. You're listening to Animal Connections with Laura Rowley. Animal Connections with Laura Rowley is an intuitive show created for you to learn what it's like to talk to animals. Laura shares 20 years of experiences of being a pet psychic and healer every Friday at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, media partner for the Omega Institute. Our beloved animals share our lives and have amazing insights into our well-being, providing us with opportunities for personal growth once we truly begin to listen. It's fun to use animal wisdom to enhance our emotional and spiritual world. Who better than our furry friends to teach us the wisdom born of unconditional love? What if your dog, cat, or horse could help you with your love life? What would they suggest? It's fun to think about and a wonderful way to conduct yourself. After all, animals know well how to love and invite us to love them unconditionally. That's a pretty great way to live life. Animals always communicate with our highest good as their central focus, even when sometimes we feel stymied or frustrated with their behavior. Visit laurarowleyhealer.com to book a workshop or private long-distance phone reading. Laura's readings and workshops help you find the part of you that's able to tune in and connect to your amazing animals. Laura Rowley believes we can all understand by listening differently. 
book a workshop, or private long-distance phone reading now by going to laurarowleyhealer.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-R-O-W-L-E-Y, healer.com. Quantum Jumps presents a radical new paradigm that we exist in an interconnected holographic multiverse in which we literally jump from one parallel universe to another. In a moment, you can become smarter, more confident, happier, more outgoing, more effective, in better relationships with more willpower. When you sense a new connection to another possible you living the life you prefer, immerse yourself naturally into that new state of being. And voila, you've made a quantum jump. Supported by scientific research, Quantum Jumps is an inspirational book backed with practical tools to help you live a happier, more prosperous life. Learn more at quantumjumps.com. Calling all authors. Have you been considering an audiobook? Well, look no further. Come take advantage of Dream Vision 7 Radio Network's unique in-house audiobook production, which includes benefits and bonuses from our radio station. Let our knowledgeable staff guide you to create the audiobook you've always dreamed of without breaking the bank. Check out our full one-stop service from A to Z, including the ACX process. Schedule a free consultation by calling 508-226-1723. That's 508-226-1723. Or go to dreamvision7radio.com. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow. Welcome back. This is Animal Connections with Laura Rowley. Uh, you can listen to Animal Connections with Laura Rowley on syndicated Dream Vision 7 radio network. I'm on every Friday at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern Time. You can listen online or on your mobile devices. You're welcome to download and listen later. They're all free. All wonderful stories about the spiritual and emotional adventures um, with people and their animals and how we can all learn from that and grow in love and confidence and joy. Um, for this or a full schedule of any of the wonderful shows on Dream Vision, you could just look at dreamvision7radio.com. So thanks again for listening. Today we're talking about Groundhog Day, which is the story of repetitive patterns that we recognize in our lives that maybe are not serving us well, <laughs> right? Because they cause us to be confused. Uh, I can't tell you I, how many times I hear from clients the phrase, I don't know what is happening. What is going on? Why does this keep occurring? Or, I'm a good dog owner. Why can't I get past this thing with my dog? So there's this confusion, this hallmark of confusion. And when we're confused, we like to know where we're going, right? We, we're like people that, we like our GPSs. We like to know how to get to, from point A to point B. So confusion feels like something that should be avoided right? So what I'm trying to say here is what if confusion is something that maybe we could go wade into and go, well, I'm confused because I don't like the point where I am now. I don't know where I'm going with this. And just accept it. Instead of thinking this ought not to be confusing. Go, it is confusing. So, so what? That helps a lot. Um, Because when we stay confused, we stay in a sort of selfish state of I'm the only one that doesn't know how to get there. I'm the only one that's lost. I've lost my way. How did this happen again? I've been abandoned. 
I've been betrayed. I've been let down. We start to cycle down into a woe is me pattern. Why can't I get this dog to do what I ask it to do? Oh, no, it's peed on the lawn. It's peed on the drug again. I'm so kind to this dog. I rescued it from the kennel, and it's peeing in the bathroom again. Right? So we can all recognize ourselves, myself included, in that sort of um, tribulation that we are all in our selfish mode. Um, the Greeks famously did... Uh, tragic plays. And in the Greek tragic plays, which are, if you've ever had an opportunity to read them, they're just magnificent stories about human failures, unrecognized, leading to more disasters. That's what the tragedies were. Um, you know, if they had seen that they were lending their own tragic flaw to the recipe, instead of growing out of it, but getting into a woe-is-me pattern, then the murder, the disaster, the fall of the city wouldn't happen. So there's always a Greek chorus that would be, you know, if you had been at the play in, you know, the year 500 BC, when all the Greek tragics, tragic plays were being played around that era, um, you would have heard the chorus telling you, oh, no, they don't see this. Uh-oh, here it comes again. She's not hearing herself, and now disaster will fall her, befall her. So meanwhile, the poor protagonist on the, on the stage doesn't know or isn't getting the message from the chorus. Only the audience is included in the message. Because in the Greek tragedies, they're sort of destined to continue to repeat the disaster of history a time and time again. They call that the eternal return. History will always repeat itself unless we learn from it. So the stories were designed to sort of impart a universal wisdom, a truth that the play was about people that weren't seeing that truth so that we, the audience, would see the truth and learn about the sins of maybe being too prideful or um, wanting revenge and, or trying to maybe become a dictator instead of for the love of everyone that you want to take care of if you were a politician. So there was always a big universal message. The players were always missing the message, and the audience was supposed to learn from them. So our lives are kind of like that. Um, we have difficulties, and when we become isolated in our difficulties, we forget that these are universal difficulties. In other words, I'm not the first person to feel burdened by responsibilities or money worries. I'm not the first person to maybe be betrayed by a lover or a friend. It happens to us all. Now, we're allowed our moment of tearfulness, sadness, but the idea is to go into that dark shadow side for yourself, go, here I go again, I'm feeling sorry for myself, and get yourself out of there as fast as you can. Right? Not flounder in the deep darkness of um, our own fears. This always happens to me. Oh no, now what is happening? Right? Um, I talked to a dog named Bargain. Bargain was free. <laughs> That's how he got his name. Um, he was a rescue. He was a German Shepherd. And 
um, he was very proud because we'd worked together for a while and he had an ulcerative condition that was chronic when I met him and we figured out he was allergic to something in his dog food. So um, the vets had helped her a lot with treating the ulcers um, and then we, we got rid of the ingredients that were maybe causing the ulcers that were almost an allergenic problem. And um, so we kept talking back and forth between Bargain and Julie um, because Julie did a really good job because Bargain was like a cowering, skinny, ribby mess when she got him. And if she looked at him and said, Bargain, come, he sat down and cowered and whined. It was super sad. So we worked on all that behavioral stuff with um, the two of them over the course of, I don't know, maybe six, eight months. And Bargain gained confidence because Julie did a great job of cheerleading him. I mean, she just turned everything into, yay, Bargain, you came over. What a good dog. Oh, my God, you do everything beautifully. So she put into her karmic package here, her ingredients, enthusiasm, joy. So Bargain got the message and he healed. His stomach got better. The vet had even taken him off some of his heavier-duty drugs. We were on our path to wellness here. But a new problem emerged, and that was that Bargain became Frankenstein. <laughs> he became unwilling to do anything that didn't sound fun. Like, um, he became unruly and a little too joyful. He wouldn't come if he was called. He'd smile at her and wag, her tail and wag his tail, but kind of keep running past her. So she had kind of created this monster. So now what do we do? So time to talk to Bargain. So I explained that there are some rules to keep him safe and that, um, you know, we didn't want to rain on his parade, but it was time that he grow grow into learning a language that Julie was trying to teach him so that the two of them could function as a unit together. So he was very interested in that and really hadn't considered that. So, you know, they got a dog trainer. They started to work on that, and it was really just kind of a question of training because a, tra a training system is just a, a language, right, that we teach a dog or a horse or anybody um, so that we can all talk about the same thing and function with the same sort of expectations. Um, what the problem was, though, actually wasn't really the dog because once he started to train the dog, he learned. But he'd be great for everybody but Julie. So that's when she called me and she said, okay, now what? So uh, she wanted to work only on herself in this case. So we had an hour session. And in her life, she had always, Julie, been the person that supported everyone around her. She was the consummate caregiver. We all know those people, the caretakers of the world. God bless them all. You know, that take the nurses, the doctors, the teachers, the firemen, the policemen, the people that are trying to care for us in the society that we live in. She was a, doc, she was a nurse uh, going to school to be a teaching assist, uh, um, uh, nurse's assistant, physician's assistant, excuse me. Um, she was sort of exhausted, didn't really want to go to school anymore was working long hours at her current job, couldn't imagine learning another job. So the more we talked about that, we realized that she really didn't know how to not self-sacrifice in a relationship. So she was destined to always be tired, never be listened to, never have her wishes be brought forward in a relationship because she was there to serve the patients. So Bargain had showed her that, yeah, you kind of don't count. I'm, I'm going to do it for everybody but with you. Because Julie had to learn what she wanted counted, what she needed mattered. So this is kind of a reparenting that she had to do, right? 
which once you realize you're giving away yourself in everything that you do, you can start to gradually make little changes and shift yourself. And then you're putting different recipes into things. And eventually, Bargain is coming around to answering her when she calls and starting to listen to her because she's doing it with an authority that isn't mean or she really didn't change anything that she's doing about how she talks to him, but she's believing that she matters and it's not just all about Bargain. It's about her. Her life matters. What she needs matters. This is a big thing, I think, where people let themselves down with their animals. A big uh, common theme I see um, I spoke to another woman. Um, this is a more recent call. Her name is Sally, and she has this beautiful thoroughbred that she bought off the track, um, which means he was a racehorse, and she was retraining him. She's very qualified to retrain uh, a racehorse to become a pleasure horse. She didn't have any big um, goals, though. She just wanted him to be happy and wanted him to have a new life. She wasn't sure what that was going to look like. She thought she'd figure it out as she went. Um, same kind of situation as with Bargain and Julie. Giving the animal a beautiful new home, yay, um, wonderful. But um, Era, the thoroughbred, had started to become just sort of bad. He'd um, slap his feet down when she'd ask him to go somewhere. He wouldn't go. Um, he'd back up when she wanted him to go forward. They thought he had ulcers. They thought he was his back was sore. She went to the vet. They did a million tests. They couldn't find anything. So that's how I came to know her because somebody said that I had helped them in the past and give me a call. So um, we had to kind of work with, of course, Era and talk to him about behaviors that were not productive but he said to me the first moment we got on the phone he said she just doesn't have any kind of gumption you know she doesn't really know what she wants so I'm showing her she's got to have a, she's got to make a stand if she wants something she's got to tell me what it is she's being wishy-washy like he said that in the first 92 seconds of our phone call so I told her that and um she kind of laughed because she knew that was true. Same thing. She wanted the horse to have a happy life, but what was wrong with Sally having a happy life? So I said, why don't you get with your trainer or, or whatever and make a plan here that has to do with, well, what would you like to do with Era? It turns out she had high ambitions. She wanted to teach him to become a dressage horse. She goes, but what if he doesn't like it? He was a racehorse before, and, you know, dressage is kind of boring for racehorses. So I asked Sarah how he felt about going that way, and is want to try that? He said, sure. He goes, I'd love to. I don't really know what it is, but I'm happy to learn. I'm bored. I didn't like just running in a circle after other horses. I'd like to be trained and have a relationship. So, which means that Sally had to act like a trainer and somebody that wanted to be in a relationship. She had to sort of show up. And she laughed. She goes, it's true, I don't really. I just sort of get on him and hope nothing goes wrong every day. And I said, well, there you go. What if you got on him and thought, I want something to go right? So she got a different trainer. She needed a different trainer, somebody that would help her be real optimistic and refocus her. And the two of them are doing great. Do they have a ride that's perfect every day? No. But air is in her life to teach her that asserting what you want and who you want to be other than who you've been is okay. You're listening to Animal Connections with Laura Rowley. What if your dog, cat, or horse could help you with your love life? What would they suggest? It's fun to think about and a wonderful way to conduct yourself. 
After all, animals know well how to love and invite us to love them unconditionally. That's a pretty great way to live life. Animals always communicate with our highest good as their central focus, even when sometimes we feel stymied or frustrated with their behavior. Visit laurarowleyhealer.com to book a workshop or private long-distance phone reading. Laura's readings and workshops help you find the part of you that's able to tune in and connect to your amazing animals. Laura Rowley believes we can all understand by listening differently. Book a workshop or private long-distance phone reading now by going to laurarowleyhealer.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-R-O-W-L-E-Y healer.com. Animal Connections with Laura Rowley is an intuitive show created for you to learn what it's like to talk to animals. Laura shares 20 years of experiences of being a pet psychic and healer every Friday at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, media partner for the Omega Institute. Our beloved animals share our lives and have amazing insights into our well-being, providing us with opportunities for personal growth once we truly begin to listen. It's fun to use animal wisdom to enhance our emotional and spiritual world. Who better than our furry friends to teach us the wisdom born of unconditional love? Are miracles real? Can you move from mayhem to miracles? 30 prominent authors say yes as they share their high fives and down lows of challenges, abuse, addiction, and love. Experience hope, the magic elixir of miracles, through the personal stories of New York Times best-selling authors James Redfield, Dr. Bernie Siegel, Sister Jenna, Reverend Temple Hayes, and many more. If you like bestsellers, chaos to clarity, and crappy to happy, you'll love crying and laughing through Mayhem to Miracles, sacred stories of transformational hope, available now on Amazon and in bookstores worldwide. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe. Relax and enjoy. Let life flow. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you for joining Animal Connections with Laura Rowley. I'm your host, Laura, and um, you could join Animal Connections with Laura Rowley on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. I'm on every Friday at 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. Uh, that's Eastern Time. You can listen online on your mobile devices. You can download it and listen later at your leisure. And what we're talking about today is how, so let's say it this way, sometimes bad experiences can teach us wisdom. <laughs> right? Kind of a cool thing. Um, when you look at life's lessons, you think, wow, this is hard. But maybe it's a lesson. In other words, maybe it's something we can grow um, beneficially from. In my work with people and animals, I'm sometimes surprised at how there are so many little twisty ways this can show up. Um, I work with a, a gentleman named Marcus, and um, he's a professional horse trainer, has been for decades, and he's worked with me for decades, different horses, different times, um, to try to solve mysteries. And he's fun to work with because over the years, he's come to see the very lesson we're talking about here today, which is that his life has evolved by looking at all these hard cases and seeing that they're a piece of his karma that actually, if he could 
figure it out and get clever, then he can cleverly change his karma and change his day and change his life. And he has seen a real trajectory by looking at his life that way. Um, his life started out doing very nice local horses for local clients, which he enjoyed very much while his children were young. The kids needed him to be home. But as his kids grew, he kind of was bored with the local stuff and wanted to do the bigger time. Wasn't sure how he was going to get there. And um, different horses, interestingly, came to him um, and challenged how he thought he would get there. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of condensing... I don't know, 18, 20 years of stories with Marcus and I. But all these horses had something in common. They would come and they would be very difficult horses. Like somebody would send the horse to Marcus. He's great. What he does, can you please fix the horse? Because the horse is, no one else can ride it. And yet it's a brilliant athlete. But it bucks people off. It scares people. Only professionals can ride it. So he became kind of the fixer of other people's problems. And he would call me with the latest horse and go, this is how we're going. How do you think they are? I just want to make sure when I start the work with the horse, there isn't anything hurting him physically. And that was a great thing, I thought, to do. Um, because sometimes animals have no choice, but when they're uncomfortable, they have to act disrespectful or defiant as a way to say, I simply cannot do this. I just can't. Um, so... He always wanted to make sure they didn't have stomach pain, there was nothing bothering them, was the equipment comfortable, so we'd go through the checklist. And then maybe we'd dip into, well, this is why I got the horse, and it seems like this is causing it or that's causing it. Can you ask him if we could shift the pattern? So we would work with the horse, and because Marcus was good at figuring out the pattern, he would ask me to help relay it. I'd add my two cents into it, and lots of times these horses would just shift through his practice beautifully. Um, but Marcus got sick after a while, and um, really sick. He got cancer. And so he called me with his personal crisis. How did this happen to me? So here's the hallmark line, the confusion. I'm sick now. Um, I can't do what my clients want me to do with the horse, and I have to say no to everything I've always done. And I'm freaked out, and he was scared. So he wanted to work through that with me. Um, so we reviewed some ideas that had kind of maybe gotten him into that pickle, which was the idea that only hard work and self-sacrifice, applying himself to these difficult cases, maybe almost at the risk of his own life, because these horses are not horses that other people, I would have never gotten on them. Like, they were dangerous horses. They had, you know, really lost their way. So he'd been willing to risk his life, do hard work, in exchange for pleasing his owners and letting the horses move on. So it was his turn, we decided, in our multiple sessions. Um, what if it's his turn to actually have the happy ending, not have to work hard, not have to risk his life? What if he didn't need something like a cancer to scare him into maybe a happier schedule, gentler horses, gentler owners who were happy with him? So he thought about that really long and hard because he had a rough he had a rough go with chemotherapy and all these different therapies. His doctors did a beautiful job and got him better. But as we all know, if you don't change how you're living, these things can come back. So he did not want that. So he kept working with me and he hired a therapist to help him with his repatterning of his life. And um, he came to realize that he didn't have to suffer personal loss or sacrifice 
um, to achieve a healthy and happy life. So this was some years ago when the disaster happened of his cancer. He is very well and very healthy, and uh, he lives in a much better place now. He um, has assistant trainers that work under him. He's got wonderful horses that are easy to ride. <laughs> you know, he's riding the big-time horses and really having fun with his life. His wife and he really enjoy their life. Their kids are grown now and come and visit him. So he had to get out of this idea that he was the sacrificial lamb for everyone else's happiness. But you know, when you're just working hard and you love what you do and you're good at what you do, you might not see that pattern. You might not see it in yourself. So I always think when you feel confused or you start to feel sorry for yourself, it's because it's a pattern coming back up. That's ready, really. It'll just keep repeating itself. The Greeks also had this idea of the endless return. They called it the eternal return. Things will just keep repeating themselves until we start to notice the repetition, and then when we do, we can change it. Sounds simple, but it's a pretty profound truth, right? Um, Shakespeare um, is credited with saying that the prologue in a story, so he means the prologue, um, is actually just um, history. In other words, what we've seen before, we're going to see at the at the beginning of our next story if we don't change our story. So if you want a different story, you've got to look at your history. And that's true, I think, uh, uh, on an individual basis, and I'm certainly it's certainly true on a level of community and socialization and governments. If we don't want to have the same outcome time and time again, we have to do something different than what we're doing. Nobody likes change, right? So we tend to kind of blind ourselves to it instead of going, oh, it'd be a lot easier if we just didn't keep repeating horrible histories that we don't even like. Kind of interesting. Um, Eric and his dog Spat, it really was his dog's name. Um, Eric dominated his dog Spat because Spot was a hound, <laughs> and Spot was a pain in the neck. It ran away. It chased things. It didn't come when he was called. Spot was a creature of instinct, and he followed his nose everywhere. And so we started talking um, because Spot actually got sick. But really, the bigger problem, as Eric thought, was that Spot is just always not where he's supposed to be. So he's sniffing things and eating things that he shouldn't eat. And can you help me create some boundaries with him? Eric wasn't a, was a pretty good trainer. Um, he had learned, though, in his life as a kid that um, if you didn't want to get in trouble, then you better do what you're told to do. So how he trained Spot was from that way. He trained Spot like, you better do this or else. And Spot was like, well, you're no fun. I'm going to go chase that beautiful woodchuck smell, or I'm going to go look for the raccoon that I smell over here. I'll see you in a couple hours. And he just would vanish. So the domineering thing kind of wasn't working too well. He'd drag the, he'd get dragged around <laughs> he'd get dragged around the neighborhood by Spot. So I talked to Spot, and you know we worked on the things I work on, which opens a door when I do that to try to create a platform for everybody to see things a little differently. And lots of times the animals are pretty sick of the pattern and really want a different scenario as well. So they I'll ask them if they agree. And do they like this idea of let's try a little obedience stuff? And it could be a super fun, and then you'd get a treat every single time. So Eric said, oh, I'm not giving him treats. And I said, well, I just told him he would, so if you don't really want me to, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, right? Because it's their relationship, not mine. And he said, oh, 
nobody ever gives me treats when I do the right thing. I just try not to get in trouble. Like he, try, he said something about his boss not firing him or um, not getting his bonuses because he didn't do enough. He goes, that's my idea of the treat is I have to work harder. So he'd been raised, you know, where you didn't get soothed or rewarded for anything you did. You, he was just kind of living his life like a person trying to avoid the stick. Um, if I don't want to get in trouble, if I don't want to get fired, if I don't want to get worse hours, I have to work harder at pleasing my boss, not necessarily doing it for myself. So he was trying to force Spot into the same set of rules. And I said, well, do you like those rules about your life? Do you like living your life from that perspective? And he said, well, what choice do I have? Indeed, right? What choice did he have? And I said, that's a great question because you probably do have choice because it is sort of the stories we tell ourselves in our lives. If we make ourselves out to be a victim, and certainly I do that when I'm feeling sorry for myself, then we're sort of going to keep learning the lesson of betrayal, abandonment, loss, fear. We're throwing ourselves into the fear. If we can tell ourselves a slightly different tale, the story that we tell ourselves, which maybe in this case, Eric could tell himself that Spot would love spending time with him and then he and Spock could have so much fun and maybe Spock could teach him how to go out into the woods and be in nature and have fun together. Because I said to Eric, does that appeal to you at all? He goes, oh sure, if I don't have to work again. So there he goes again, back into the old pattern, poor me. I don't get to go have fun in nature. I've got to work. This is a common theme, one of which I'm really guilty of. I tend to totally overwork and I can sing this song when I get too tired for sure. So, I wasn't judging Eric. I just said, yeah, well, there you go again. What if you changed the song? What if you did the best thing you want to do every morning and you did it with your dog's spot? What would that be? He, of course, didn't know the answer to that in the moment. He was kind of mad. He didn't really want to look at it. But he called me back again later, made another appointment. We had to review with Spot some more rules. Spot had acquiesced the last time and had been a little bit better about at least picking up his head when he was called and turning around and maybe not continuing to run away. He goes, you got somewhere with Spot. I don't know quite how you did it. But he said, I realize I was pretty resistant to what you were talking about, so can we go back to that? I said, yeah, absolutely. So we did. And it was very cool because Eric had done a lot of self-analyzing. He'd done a lot of homework. And he goes, I don't know how you saw that in just a 20-minute little window of time about how I always make everything hard. And I told them that's because I see it in myself so I can see it in others. He said, oh. And I said, you know, it's very common to make ourselves feel like a victim of a circumstance instead of realizing that this is a lesson we're learning. And by looking at the ingredients we put into the lesson, we can change the lesson. I said, it's, it's how I try to live. It's, it's being mindful. It doesn't mean you're always correct or you're always getting it right. In fact, you're probably not getting it right because when you make a mistake, it's when you, that's how you grow. That's how you learn. I said, you're, you've gotten conditioned into believing that if you make a mistake, disaster will fall. A bad result will happen. And that might be partially true, but it's also temporary. Say something bad happens, something good can just as easily happen after the bad thing. Going back to the idea that everything is a cycle. Right? So we can usually see that 
in one another better than we can see it in ourselves. And that was the role of the Greek chorus back in around the era of 500 BC. The chorus could see the tragic mistake the person was making and the audience could see it. And so we can learn from each other almost better sometimes by witnessing somebody else's problem, their return to repeating their own history. And then all we have to do is apply it to ourselves. It's kind of cool, right? And so the idea that Poxitoni Phil, the groundhog, going back to Groundhog Day, teaches us is if the, that we go in and if we see our own shadow and we decide to hide for another six weeks, if we decide to throw ourselves back into the earth and not look deeper at ourselves, go into a sleepy, mindless state, we're going to have more winter. Cold, dark days. If, however, we don't see our shadow and we choose to see the light, in other words, we don't have to retreat into our den where there is no shadow. We have spring. We have light. A new version of ourselves. A new chapter opens up. A new day. Springtime. The light. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Animal Connections with Laura Rowley. Um, you can listen on your devices. You can listen on live. You can download it on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network every Friday at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for joining Animal Connections with Laura Rowley. Heard every Friday at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Join Laura next time to discover how you can embrace the wisdom flowing from your loved animals. Communication starts with an intention to understand. Each week, Laura helps you find your own unique ability to create a better understanding of yourself as taught through the loving eyes of your animals. To connect with Laura Rowley, go to laurarowleyhealer.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-R-O-W-L-E-Y healer.com. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow.